Welcome to the EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. This podcast is brought to you by Capture One Pro. With support for more than 400 cameras, it's the standout choice for any serious photographer. See the difference that Capture One 10 can make to your existing raw images by downloading a free 30-day trial at CaptureOne.com. In this episode, we're joined with Jeff Rojas, a.k.a. Jeff Rojas. <laughs> I love that nickname, by the way. Jeff Rojas. I am trying it's to get the best. I'm trying to get it to stick. It's not working so far. It has with me. Yeah. There's no other way to. We be. actually call you Jeffro. In at the studio, studio we do. Yeah. I like it. Everyone knows you as Jeffro. I like it. Let's do it. I hope you don't hate that. No, I know. it's fine. So, Jeff, thank you for uh, hopping on this season of the podcast. And for everyone that doesn't know the type of photographer you are, how would you describe yourself? What sort of work do you do? Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. Um, I am a fashion portrait photographer based in New York City. So primary body of work is photographing people, just uh, either in pretty clothes and pretty people or not so pretty people and not so pretty clothes. Yeah. (laughs) So every permutation of people and articles of clothing, Jeff does. And you recently came out with a, a book, right? I did. Uh, two books last year, Photographing Men and Photographing Women uh, in 2016. What was that? Pro- I want to talk about that process of making a book. <laughs> well, what's that like? Do so you remember writing essays in high school? Yeah. Yeah, multiply that by 100. Yeah. That's <laughs> exciting as it feels. So where did, how, how did that start? Was that your idea? Did they approach you? Um, I think everything that I do now is pretty much just business proposals from my part to whatever company is there. And I realized the importance of, uh, of marketing. Nobody writes a book for money anymore. Everybody writes a book for marketing and as a business card. Um, mm-hmm. I know the connotation of being an author and what that sounds like. Not an ebook author, an actual published, it's in Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, and going around and saying I'm an author has a different level of respect compared to like an ebook. So I did it for marketing. I did it for being able to produce content to reach a certain level of client that I wasn't able to before. So I charge for that now. I'm like, I'm an author for this. And they're like, okay, so this guy's legit. I literally wrote the book on photographing. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I literally wrote the book on photographing men and literally wrote the book on photographing women. So it's all marketing. And in any kind of lighting, right? I mean, that was a major thrust on these books is how to deal with any kind of lighting you're thrown at. Exactly. Exactly. 21 different lights, lighting setups in each book. So it's a lot of fun. How long did it take you to write those? Um, if I were to sit down from beginning to end, probably about a month, three to four weeks. Um, and that's really if I was doing it straightforward. Truthfully, if I sat down for a week and did nothing else, I could probably sit down and write a book in a week. Did you have any really? uh, three-day stints where you didn't sleep, just like Beyonce? <laughs> so, truth be told, uh, there were many four or five a.m. mornings when yeah. you're writing book uh, when you're writing book content. If you have the images already created for the concepts you're trying to introduce, it makes it very easy. If you're trying to introduce new concepts and you don't have the imagery to support the documentation, that's what takes its most time. Uh, so, there were many five a.m. mornings for me trying to figure out how to differentiate myself from what was already in the marketplace and not sound like I was repeating the same thing people had done for 20 years. So a lot of that was creative. My, my creative flow is more, more or less like early in the morning. So I would go ahead and go write, sleep three hours, and then get right back into it. So, What was your, your impetus for doing this? And you just decided, I need a new marketing vehicle. Had you followed other photographers' pathways, or was this just something that you really felt that I need, I need some way to get my name out there and get my credibility? You know, I think... I think everything that we do as artists or as business people should lead to some story. You know, at the end of the day, my goal is to write three books before 30. I'm 28, I'll be 29 this year, so the third one's underway. Um, a lot of that has to do with my biography, my mm-hmm. long-term bi- biography of saying, wrote three books before 30, created content here, but also it's marketing me in other areas that I don't necessarily have a chance to market myself. So as a publisher, they have leverage in places like Germany. They have leverage in places like Japan and China where I'm not marketing. Like they're right. spending the time, they're spending the assets to go in and spend marketing dollars towards marketing my brand. I'm trying to use other people's platforms essentially to build my own and allow me to reach other markets I may not be able to. So it is 
in essence, just a business, a whole business plan for myself. So what was the first step? Did you put an outline together and then go shop it with um, publishers? Yeah. So I walked into Barnes and Noble. I sat down. I, I looked at all the different publishers that were in the marketplace, figured out which uh, which books were the best quality, which books had the best information. Um, I went to, I think it was a PPE. I was sitting down looking at some of the publishers that were there and figuring out what what they bring to the table. And in regards to payment, in regards to if there was an advance, if there was no advance, is there a higher uh, percentage of, of sales that you get as a photographer? Figuring that whole aspect of it out. And then writing a book's actually relatively easy, or rather pitching a book's easy. What you need to do is come up with a working concept title, a sentence summary, a paragraph summary, a at least a first chapter of one of the one of whatever information you're trying to write within the book. It doesn't have to be literally the first chapter, and really shop that around and just write. Like literally just go in and, and write as if you're writing the book already and pitching that as a physical proposal to different publishers. The first publisher said no. The second one said yes. So it's always, it's that's like a good, yeah, pretty, that's good pretty good odds actually. Yeah. So little by little, but it's, it's looking at it as a business proposition, like anything else in life. What was it like just getting an appointment to come pitch it? Were they just like, yeah, come on in. Email. I mean, it's 2016 email just, at the time. So yeah, emails, everything. That's easy. You made it sound real easy. Yeah, I feel really like easy. I could go write a book now, totally. which I can't. I'm going to this afternoon. Rob, if you were to write a book, what would it be on? Oh, I don't know. I'd have so many books I could write to tell you the truth. There's lots on photography, and there's lots on my personal life that would be th- kind of Outside of photography. Um, what would it be? I don't know. I think I need to do a reality TV show. I think that'd be more fun. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have many skill sets you bring to the table. I mean, just find out what you're passionate about that you're willing to spend till 4 o'clock in the morning writing and just do it. I mean, it doesn't, you guys have a lot on your plate already, but definitely make it happen. If that's yeah, something I've talked about you. it actually for lighting diagrams and a lot of the stuff yeah. I do with the food and beverage. It's, uh, it's something that's been on my horizon. I just yeah. haven't gotten to it. And you do kind of give me the inspiration to like, Hey, I could just sit down and re- really make this happen. Absolutely. And it's, if you want to make it easier, I, that's exactly it. You're overthinking it. I mean, so here, here's something that I did to cheat writing a book. Um, I would write blogs and then I would re- repurpose those blogs as my chapters. And that allowed me to have marketing material already, kind of realize, nitpick, and, and do a test to see what questions people had based off of those blogs, and then elaborate on those in the book. Interesting. Look at Sneaky Pete over I know, here coming seriously. up with great ideas. Jeffro Haas. <laughs> <laughs> so have you have you been able to get business off of these books or inquiries, or is it is it traceable? Like, yes. So yeah. one of the things, I just finished an ad campaign for uh, literally a billboard here in Vegas just based off the fact that I'm the photographer that wrote Photographing Men, and it's a menswear line that's in there. I wouldn't have the same rapport as I would have of not being an author, because at that point you're just a quote-unquote educator yeah. standing on stage talking to other photographers versus you're the leading authority on whatever topic yeah. you wrote on. So That's awesome. And your publisher is push, pushing this out internationally? Yeah. Multiple is, languages? Yeah. I have it in right now. I have it sitting in my house in German. Um, I know it's going out in Chinese, in Mandarin, I think, and wow. Japanese. So it's cool to have people taking photos of my book in other countries. Yeah, that's um, awesome. That must feel it's, good. It's awesome. It's yeah. super cool. It's you're working beyond yourself when you don't really think about it. So what is the cost breakdown? Do you have to shell out any money for getting it translated? No, not at no. all. Everything. So they're doing publishing. everything. They're doing everything. So. That's like the sneakiest way to promote yourself. That's Correct. a great. I'm going to write this awesome really book, bright. and then you go trans like translating for mm-hmm. us. Like we're looking into and translating. Um, we just translated Sandra's tutorial yeah. into uh, French and Portuguese mm-hmm. in Spanish, and holy shit, was that expensive? Super expensive. Yeah, that's nuts. We should get a publisher to. We, we should. The only us. problem is that then we have to give them a cut. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's it's not lucrative for the for the author. I'll say this, and this is me being all chips on the table. Writing a book, you're probably going to get anywhere from eighteen, uh, sorry, eight to fifteen percent of whatever the the residual gross sales are for for the book itself. It's a photography book. Yep. You have to realize this isn't a multi million dollar time New York Times bestseller. This is something that you're writing for a specific niche. Um, but at the same token. My books are at the front of every Barnes and Noble. When you go to the photography section, it's facing you. It's directly at you. Is it worth that for marketing? You're getting paid to market yourself and your brand. And long term, I mean, you're still getting residual income from whatever's there. So every three, four months, you get a check in the mail that you don't think about. Yeah. Like it's just there. So That's it's cool. a good thing. So what's the third book going to be on? Uh, creative entrepreneurship. So everything Ooh. that we just discussed. So the like framework. It. So what else can you tell us? Walk me through a few of the chapters, can you? So 
No, I can't go over every explicit detail. What I can say is this. I I came from a sales and private equity background. This isn't something that I, I fell into photography. And I quickly realized how much photographers suck at business. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I either found really awesome, financially stable, crappy photographers or amazing photographers that were like starving artists. There was very few and far in between. Those are things that I want to bring back to the table in that how can you teach people that have amazing artistic skill, essentially business sense, and then how can you teach people with business sense some creative skill? So here's an example. Creativity extends beyond just art. When you're thinking about kind of coming up with something, let's say right now you guys are setting the podcast up. You're missing something on set. Even you kind of figuring out what you need to like jerry-rig whatever's there, that's creativity. It's coming up with a concept and, and a solution for that specific moment. If you're marketing and you have $0 to your marketing budget and you're trying to figure out a solution for that to happen, that's creativity. But for some reason, we think of creativity as solely artistic when it has everything to do with business. So coinciding the two together, you know, what does it really take to grow your brand in 2017? How do you use content marketing in order to reach uh, a, a broader audience? How do you use other artists to build your brand without them necessarily knowing? Everything that we do as artists can be taken from a business sense. Companies do it every single day. For some reason, artists don't see that. Yeah. <clears throat> Sounds like, uh, are you part of the ASMP or do you participate in, in that? I, I dabble in it, but I'm not part of it. I feel like that, so that's basically everyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I know about it, but like, like, I, and I bring that up because they have that whole business Bible, which right. if you actually have the patience to sit through, it's it's kind of outdated, but it's very you know, relevant oh, there's, information. There's still great information in there. So oh, yeah. it sounds like you're kind of taking that and adapting it to modern day Correct. modern day uh, platforms. I think it's important for us to, to help one another out with that. I don't think there's really, I mean, there's great books out there for photography, business education, but as creatives, old creatives, videographers, uh, artists, painters, whatever, there's not much information for everyone at the same token. What we do is provide a service for people. We're just so wholehearted on the art itself that we forget that it's literally a service or a product yeah. for someone. Yeah, Gary and I focus a lot on business in these podcasts and with a lot of our tutorials, and and the majority of people don't, which is amazing yeah. because photography is 20% photography. It's 80% mm-hmm. business and marketing. Absolutely. I, and absolutely. accounting. Yes, and accounting. <laughs> So, you know, we just kind of jumped into some of this content. We really didn't talk about your entry into photography. Mm-hmm. You came from the financial world. Mm-hmm. So let's back up a little bit and tell sure. us kind of about your interest in photography, how you wound up falling into it. Um, I'm lazy. That's the first thing. I like to... <laughs> All photographers yeah. are Three not lazy. Three bucks before 30, I'm lazy. <laughs> so a friend of mine actually brought this, uh, Scott, uh, Scott Niedermeyer, awesome guy, works for Phase One. You probably met him before. Scott has this amazing line that he used the other day and it kind of sums up my life i'm so lazy it's a great thing because i'm always going to figure out what's the easiest solution to get to the solution itself and interesting perspective yeah you're you're not your laziness as your asset yeah of course you're not gonna (laughs) you're not gonna take the longest road to get the job done you're gonna figure out the easiest way to scrape by right that's that's always a concept so i've always been that kid you know when it came to i used to draw as a kid um we couldn't afford to put me through photography classes back in high school. I wish I could say, you know, I was, I used to pick up a camera back in high school. Like I literally couldn't afford the hundred dollars to get into the class, let alone the film that we had. Um, I picked up my first camera when I was 22 working at the finance company, literally, uh, has a way to document a car I was restoring and the, and the love for photography outgrew the love of the car. And Eventually, I'd sell that thing and reinvest it into my business and and pay for gear and pay for lighting and pay for all that stuff. Um, But I started as a college dropout. I mean, I was studying aerospace engineering when I was 18, dropped out to move to New York, uh, worked at a data recovery company for about three months, and I saw my first entrepreneur there uh, at the age of 30. Here's somebody who moved from Israel with $30,000 in their pocket, grew a multi-million dollar business in about two or three years based off of a lot of the concepts that I've been trying to grow in my business. And that was inspiring me. From there, I was a, a recruiter for a temp staffing agency. I switched from job to job to job. Like, photography is my longest gig, right? Um, by the time I was working in private equity, I got to see what, where money and assets were being put. So, for example, the company that I worked for owned all the tribunes. So, like, Chicago, like mm-hmm. Chicago Herald and all that stuff, we, we owned all of it. 
they never invested into the paper media of it. They wanted it for the online rights. So all of that put together started like clicking for me as a, as a person. And picking up my first camera and going to workshops and listening to people. Um, we talked about this earlier before the podcast, but I was introduced to going to workshops to learn from other photographers because my job allowed me to do that, who would say, this industry is dying. This industry isn't what it used to be. I used to make ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a day, and it's not like that anymore. You know, and the truth of the matter is, I don't know the difference. When you're working salary, you may be working for six figures, but at the same time, you don't know what it's like to put in 18-hour days. You'll put in 16 working for someone else. The liability is yep. not on your shoulders, but when you're working 18 for yourself, you may make less. You know, how do you maximize? Like, all that is kind of how I fell into photography. By the time I met my first uh, mentor slash partner and somebody who was looking at it as a, a legitimate business, we put a lot of what I had learned in private equity and as a regional sales manager, my last corporate job, to growing her business and her brand. And that was awesome to see that come into fruition. What do you think were the best lessons from being in the financial sector that translated into having a successful photo business? We made a crap ton of money in diversified investments, taking something that was failing and restoring it and bringing it back to life. So when I'm hearing artists say the industry isn't what it used to be, all I'm thinking is- You see opportunity. I see opportunity because at the same token, so right now- you guys probably reach this specific audience, but aside from you guys, how many people are reaching 25 to 35-year-olds in the educational sector of photography? So what do you see as the opportunities in photography? I mean, you're coming to this business as a fresh set of eyes. I've been in it for 25 years, so I definitely see it as very different than it was. I don't see it as failing, but I see it as very different. I'm curious as to what you see are the opportunities. So nobody, no one is really reaching anybody under 35 right now, and I wholeheartedly believe that. Aside from you guys, there isn't anyone right? There's, there's no one reaching the new market. And the easiest analogy that I can give you there is all the guys who liked classic cars, if they didn't foster somebody who's younger to come into the industry, that industry dies. The classic right. cars die with the, the generation before us, right? I think about that in the same way that photography is. There's almost a disassociation between what a professional photographer has been and what a new up and coming, I grab my first camera, I want to go make money. And there's almost a sense of divide there. If, if you can figure out how to bridge that gap and provide mentorship for people or provide unity there, you would find success. So if I asked you right now, walking through trade shows like PPE or WPPI, how many people under 35 do you see? You would see very little, right? There's such an opportunity to go online like you guys are doing to reach that specific yep. audience. You just, everyone's thinking about doing things traditionally and you have to take of what current markets are doing in other areas. Here's, a, here's an example, VidCon. VidCon every year. How many under 35-year-olds, under 25-year-olds do you say? There's hundreds of thousands of people, right? Here's this growing number of YouTubers using the gear that we're using here to create content. But no one's giving them the proper information of what we deem as correct photography and videography standards. So if we want that audience to learn, we have to learn how to essentially take that information and filter it out specifically for that audience and, and create content specifically for them. Instead of fighting them and fighting tradition and fighting all that, just yep. go with the wave and just hit them where they want it to, to be to create content. So here's a perfect example. I wrote, I wrote a blog recently called uh, how to create a videography, oh, sorry, how to create a vlogging kit for under $100. So think of content marketing. Who cares about an under a one under one hundred dollar vlogging kit here in Vegas in this room right now for the over thirty five? No one cares because everybody wants you know the three thousand dollar camera, the four thousand dollar camera, the kid that's just picking up his first camera. That's so invaluable. So I did an A B testing. I did the same image, which is just like a party of somebody taking a selfie and, and recording information, and they look like they're twenty two. Ran it on Facebook. We had. 9,000 people with a $20 ad campaign, 9,000 people reached, and I think we had 50 or 60 interact with that specific post. Something like Instagram, I had 1,700 likes on that specific image, 1,700 people interacting with it. So even content marketing, thinking about where you're going with the content and who you're marketing to is so important. But for whatever reason, we forget that here. That's interesting. So... <clears throat> I want to bring go back a little bit to what you said of, of there's like a divide between 
what photographers used to be and kind of who they are now. Mm. And, you know, I first want to say like our target, not our target, our, our 60% of our audience is males, 24 to 33. Correct. So like we are like crushing like Correct. that, that, that market, Correct. like worldwide, 80 plus countries. Mm. But what we're finding is there's kind of this like void of what we call EQ, mm-hmm. like emotional intelligence mm-hmm. in how to run a business. Mm-hmm. And when we're making a tutorial now, we're like really trying to get the EQ out of the photographer because who really gives a shit about the camera settings and mm-hmm. the shutter speed and, right. and stuff like that. Um, and I think there's a huge void in the people that are picking up those cameras and they're just focused on, uh, I just need to know how you set the lights up. It's like, no. That's like, not what you, you need. You need to know how to interact and talk with clients and build your team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we put together a curriculum, we really look for a photographer that can come to the table and teach that. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, mm-hmm. and this is where it gets tricky for us, because yeah. there's so many photographers out there that we want to work with, mm-hmm. but we're scared because, let's say, like, there's legends mm-hmm. that we want to work with, but of they course. don't even have social media accounts. We're taking a huge risk because our audience needs to also recognize that Correct. person. Correct. So, like, we're in this, like, catch-22 of, like... It's hard. Shit, like we can't even work with the people we want to work with. Yeah, it's interesting because some of the people who have the greatest amount of knowledge about the world of photography and the greatest amount of knowledge to share are not well known by all the emerging photographers, Mm -hmm. by the people who are really entering the market. So it's a really difficult um, bridge to gap. I I just think it comes back to like basic basic marketing on your guys' end. It's just more effort on your guys' end to make that successful. So somebody who, let's say you take somebody with the, the biggest name, that's making the most money, right? If the newer photographers aren't aware what that person has, what you have to do is just like any other video content. You don't just put out education for the fun of it. You create a solution-based sale. You're saying, this is the return on investment, investing whatever we have here. You may not know who this person is, but you know their outcome. Yep. So as an example, um, I was on a tour recently. Albert Watson's there. Albert Watson's not a household name for anybody under 35. Yeah. If you're over 35, oh, I yeah. know him well. he's <laughs> an amazing photographer. It's a perfect so, example of what we're, what we're battling. And so here's this amazing photographer. But if you said, the guy who took the photo of Steve Jobs, this is the person that's been able to shoot for the last 40 years. The guy who took the photo of Prince, all the things that people are relatively associate him with, but don't know his actual name. Yeah. You start to put that information in somebody's head. Right. So when I think of solution-based sales, I think of somebody like Jay Maisel, somebody who bought, you know, a. I love Jay. He's amazing. He's an amazing guy. He's yep. an amazing, amazing guy. Studio. His exactly. So you think about the bank that he owned, right? The bank that he bought in the middle of like the seventies, eighties, whenever mm-hmm. it was, that it was it was crap compared to now, where he sold it for fifty, what, fifty five million? Fifty two, I thought, but yeah, fifty two I mean, million just incredible dollars. building. How incredible. amazing is that? You know, there goes yeah. someone that maybe your average younger photographer may not understand, but if you said this photographer made $52 million just by selling his studio. That's information people want to hear. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, how's, what's the quickest way I can make money? That was not a quick way for him. He had to buy, oh, of course. He had to buy a building in a really terrible neighborhood in New York and wait out 30 years of, you know, gentrification Correct. and sell at the right time. So, Patience. I mean, so great Detroit. You could do totally in Detroit and do the same thing if you really wanted to. <laughs> All photographers move to, to yes, Detroit yes, and buy do real it. estate right Let's now. <laughs> So with with institutions like Brooks closing, that mm-hmm. probably you know taught a lot of that. Correct. Where do you see it going? Like, is it just going to kind of die off, and we're going to learn from the the people that have the most followers, the most Instagram likes? And that's that's the problem where we are right now. Is that you know we can fight it or we can go with it, right? So this is if you guys ever watch somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, somebody in the, the business oh, yeah. capacity, awesome guy. But he goes with the flow. It's kind of like everything has to go with the flow. Yep. We can fight that and fight, you know what, how do we institutionalize business education? Or you can just create it and create a following that's going to respect whatever that is enough so they're going to bring up that level of, of business acumen. So somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk is making entrepreneurship cool, right? It's cool to make money. It's cool to hustle. It's cool to yep. take, you know, $100 and make $2,000 out of it. When you can do that, you now reach a broader audience. So here's yep. an example something that he ran this year. Um, he did the $20,000 flip challenge or something like that, where he had everybody go to garage sales yeah. and then show what their return on investment is for whatever they were selling. So put on Craigslist, eBay, wherever they were able to put that back on and make money. He's teaching people how to hustle and making it cool. Yep. You know, And that's what we really need to do in the photography industry and, and stray away from, not stray away from tradition, but turn tradition into a newer, cooler form. So when I tell you, that I was on a, a set the other day. My stylist is afraid of calling 
different fashion companies and I'm like, this is what it takes. I pick up my phone. I find somebody that I've used in an editorial that I shot like two years ago and I pick up the phone, call their uh, publicist, the PR company and just say, hi, my name is Jeff Rojas. I'm a fashion portrait photographer based in New York City. I've worked with your clothes in the past. I've had it published in several different publications over the last year or two. Um, I noticed that I haven't worked with you in that time since then. I want to know what I can do to help you guys and still benefit for us to work together. How yep. can I get your guys included in my new editorials? That person's that's now a good pitch. That, yeah, that that's reciprocal a relationship. What can we do to help each other? Yeah. So now I have the text messages from the lady wanting to like book me out for work for exclusive advertising campaigns because I was like, this is what I've done since then. So they see that growth. It was one phone call, you know. So it's like making that cool. If you yep. can turn that into a cool ask, anybody can pick up a phone call, say the right thing. It's just practice. Yep. You know, you have to find those cues of what matter to people. That's it. So outside of the book, let's talk about how you're at getting work from social media mm -hmm. or these calls. Like, where's the most most of your work coming from? How are people finding Jeffro? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's everything all at once right now, but. I, I find most of my clients come from me reaching out to people. Everyone's so proactive, proactive because everyone's waiting for, for clients to come to them. And I don't find clients that way because there's, there's so much noise in our marketplace that I don't, if I waited, I'm going to get one a month versus if I call the same way that I call that one style or sorry, that one company, I can create work for myself. Yeah. So me finishing an ad campaign on Friday, I spent last night instead of going out to parties retouching all the images myself because I wouldn't have a retoucher to retouch three different images. They're a marketing and distribution company based in Rhode Island, right? They have 10, 15 other brands that they work with. Think about the speed. We shot Friday. They got it delivered Monday, right? All the images on a hundred megapixel camera on a phase one XF body. They can literally crop into anything that they want. Everything is delivered. That's speed right? I can do the same thing for each one of their brands. And I can say that to them. When they were there on Friday, I invested them into the process of being on set. Prior to me, nothing's ever been tethered, right? So now I'm investing them into the processing. What could be better? Yeah. So I'm selling myself while I'm there to create long-term relationships to build off of that one client. And I think that's something else people forget is every client has a potential opportunity to be a larger client or more regular client. That's something that I've always worked really hard to do on my shoots. I, um, I spend at the beginning of every shoot educating the client about how I work, mm -hmm. my process. We sit down as a group and I say, okay, this is how I work and kind of run them through it. And it does invest them in me and the way I work and it sets their expectations on what they're going to get back. Okay. And they really appreciate it when they, when they know what's going to happen because Absolutely. photo shoots are weird. You get this collective of people coming together you know, half the time you haven't worked together no. and you got to make art by six o'clock in the evening. So everybody can go right. home it, you've got to very quickly get to a common understanding right. so you can make that art happen. Absolutely. As a photographer, you've got to, you've got to steer the ship. Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly it. So even that specific shoot the week before I had already said, listen, look, we're going to do near each prop. They had 20 different outfits for the day. We had four props. I'm like, I need you guys to spend the time, if you're not investing in a full-time stylist, to sit there and find five looks for each specific prop. So as the day is going, we can just crank that out and crank all the work out so we're not having to think about it. We finished not at 6 o'clock. We finished at 3. And I'm sitting there like, oh, we're done? And that's it? And we had an extra look in, which is awesome. Yeah. But that looks so great with the client. Now, longevity-wise, they respect me and they give me enough control now to work with other brands. So we're already talking about the next couple seasons for the brand that I shot for, plus the other companies that I'll potentially work with in their marketing group. I have to be proactive there. I have to say, hey, listen, this is what my schedule is available like. This is, this is where I'm open in these specific days. I have to reach out to people. I can't just wait. If you wait, you're lazy. And I go back to, I joke about being lazy. The fastest way to get clients is to be proactive. It's the easiest way to, to get people out there. Now, if we're talking about marketing and social media, Content marketing, thinking about creating content for the specific target that you're trying to reach, not just creating stuff and throwing it at people. And that's something else most creatives don't understand. They want to yep. just create art and have everyone love that specific art. Well, not everyone's going to like that. If you live in the middle of Nebraska and you want to shoot fine art in Nebraska, you might not have local clients, but it's 2017. Maybe you have somebody in the UK that'll buy your work. But you have to be very conscious of what you're capable of doing within your area. Yeah. 
And so I'm always trying to be proactive with what I'm doing and just thinking about it like a business. How has your pricing changed over the past five years? Like in what, what is it? How's it gone? I've gotten expensive. <laughs> how did you, so how do you know Atta how to boy. price yourself? That's probably the biggest question we get is like, I don't know how to price myself. Like I'm scared to death of licensing. Like that scares the shit out of most of our audience. You know, I, I think when you, when you look at the bare bones of things, time is money, right? But at the same time, you need income to come inside the door in order for you to sustain a living. I think one of the worst things people say is, you know, it's okay to say no when you're first starting off. When you're first starting off, I say say yes to everything so you can screw up and realize what you don't want to do, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. I've made so many mistakes in the first five years of my career that I won't redo them. And I know what I did and where I lost money and where I won't do it again. I say it's cheaper to learn from someone else's mistakes and not do that. But when you go through it yourself, you'll never replicate that. Yep. You know, it's almost like when your mom told you don't touch the stove because you're going to burn your hand versus you're when you touched it. Yep. Right. You can hear it all day, but until you do it, it doesn't make any sense. So get through that the first year of messing up. Here's an example. My first uh, my first shoot was technically I worked for the patch. I was a freelancer for patch, the AOL company, like five, six years ago or something like that. And the cost of driving, I had a brand new Dodge 1500. I was working for the private equity company at the time driving to the shoot or the location of the story. I made 50 bucks. It cost me more to drive there in gas than it did for me to get the images <laughs> plus the editing and stuff like that. It didn't make any sense whatsoever, but I realized quickly what I needed to do to either not work with them, request more money, or find a new client. You know, there was a time when I had somebody hire me for like 50 bucks for a print. Again, this is when I'm first starting off. And the print itself cost me $47, plus lighting, plus expenses, plus all the gear, the, the depreciation of all the gear that I have on set, it cost me money to do. Plus I printed one out for the location that I wind up shooting. So I lost 200 bucks on a client that I earned, right? But I think you have to go through that to realize what you're, yep. you're worth now. Now these days, I invest myself into the process. So for like this specific client, I look at it as 20 hours of work. What is 20 hours of my time worth? Now I think about what I'm losing in those 20 hours by not doing other things. If I write a book in those 20 hours, let's say, which is not going to happen, but if I wrote a part of a book in those 20 hours, what would I gain from writing a book? And then I have to kind of figure out, okay, I'm losing this much money. I have to charge you this. Retouching. Got it. Okay, so three hours I'm going to spend on retouching this one image. Is it really worth $45 of my time? Meaning, should I just outsource it for $15 an hour and get the, the image retouched? Or can I make money in those three hours calling someone for a potential job? I'm always thinking about what I'm worth on the table. This is the first year that I'm making more, significantly more than I worked in private equity because I had to look at it that way. My time is my effort. Even coming here to WPPI, partying, you know, going out is awesome, networking. I'd rather network people, network with people throughout the day and then make my clients happy at night because they're my bread and butter, right? When I come here to a show like WPPI, I usually break even. I'm not coming here for profit. I'm coming here to make my money, network with people, think about potential job opportunities or potential business opportunities that we can work out and kind of go from there. Is it worth my time? That's all I'm thinking about. I'm here for a week. How can I take a week out of my time? Maybe I don't make it here, but a month or two months from now, how can I make that back? You're not going to go to Cirque du Soleil? You're not going to no, do it? not at all. Jeff, come on. <laughs> yeah. I love you guys. I got money to make, man. <laughs> We're going to Cirque. We're going to go to Cirque tomorrow. We're going to see the Beatles. Oh, oh my cool. God. It's going to be awesome. I respect you guys. You guys work here <laughs> behind us, so you deserve it. Let's yeah, work. no, that's, that's you know, for us, like, we always had to justify coming to WPPI because obviously it's fun. Yeah. And, like, we've thrown parties in the past, and that has led to, you know, relationships with other right. companies. Yeah. We don't come to these to, to get customers to buy tutorials. It's all yeah. about building relationships with Correct. companies that also share our target market. Yeah. Um, so for us, you know, the the podcast is perfect. So we get to network with awesome people. It's fun, man. And, I'm sure uh, hear fun. about their stories. You know, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm interested in people's stories and how they got to where they're at. Um, you know, that's that's how I got into it. Is that there was a void of no information, information of how to do film online. And I was like, holy shit. I was living in Eastern Europe at the time. It's yeah. like, how do we do this? How, it's hard. Why is this? And I then fast forward, and that's that's where we are. Education. It's interesting because I got a chance to sit with with Albert and uh, Albert Watson. 
the way that he looked at everything was extremely business focused and business oriented. Everyone that he worked with was a colleague of his, even growing up with makeup artists and hairstylists around him, everybody that grew with him, it was a business relationship. I mean, everyone that kept together, if you read somebody like Annie Leibovitz, her story, even though she was shooting for the Beatles, she still had a friend that worked for Vogue or Vanity Fair or whatever it was at the time. And they became a stylist and a photo editor or whatever they were for that company. And her relationship founded or their relationship together founded the fact that she was able to work with the company. It's all relationship building. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, all, a, that's all those businesses. Of course. It's a thousand times. It's all about the relationships and how you handle them. Of course. Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit about the gear because everybody loves it. So you mentioned you're shooting with the 100 megapixel XF. Yes and no. Yes and no. Sometimes. Yes and no. Depends. When, when, are you bringing that, when are you bringing that guy out and for what? You know, I, so this year and last year I spent just using what I need to get the job done. So if a client's going to shoot something for Facebook and that's all what it's going to be on, why am I shooting a 100 megapixel, megapixel camera? It doesn't yep. make any sense whatsoever. So this year, funny enough, I started shooting a crop sensor camera and then shooting ad campaigns with that crop sensor camera and editorials with a crop sensor camera just to show that it could be done and knowing what the gear limitations are for what you're trying to shoot. I shoot with whatever I have in my hand, truthfully. And that's that's a positive and negative. I always looked at a camera as a camera as a a box with a hole in it. You just get the job done, you get your vision, you capture what you need. No. The 100 megapixel camera is for ad campaigns. That'll be a billboard in Vegas. I need that for the job that I'm getting done. They don't know the crop the size crops that we need for the specific out uh, the layout that they have for the images. So it allows me to crop into whatever I have and no. retain a ton of detail. Can't do that on a crop sensor camera. You know, so I'm very aware of what I need to get the job done. I think that you pick up the gear that you need to get the job done. So that it's it's like a, there's always a tool for the job. It's like anything else in life. Are you shooting tethered most of the time or are you yes. freehanding it? No, tethered. I have to tether. When I have to freehand, I go crazy. <laughs> so walk me through, walk me through I understand the, your that. transition. I totally from understand it. You kind of realizing the benefits of shooting tethered and like what that did for your workflow. You know, so even, okay, so... When I'm working in a fashion editorial, when I first started, I get emails afterwards. Hey, we had this image that was better about hair, or I had this image that was better about makeup, or whatever it was. There was always an email two or three days after, after I delivered files of trying to find out new photos from the set that we have, and I had to eliminate something there. Like I knew there was a way to get that to go away. So I started rating things in camera. I'd go there, I'd go to the makeup artist, are you happy? Yes, five stars. I go to the makeup like everyone on yeah. set to make sure that they were happy with that specific image. So they couldn't email me three, four days later and say, hey, this was a better shot. If it wasn't, that's too bad. You should have done your job on set for that specific <laughs> image. Like yeah. I was very much to the point. And realizing that right from the back of the camera, you can't really see much information. So that was already a complaint. So tethering allowed me to have a larger screen to see what was there. But then when we start getting to color management, and just showing what the colors actually look like in camera versus what they look like in the final delivery, and they can be completely different. That was also important. When you're shooting with a fashion client and you want to show that red dress, you don't want it to be orange when you deliver the file because of the fact that you're not color managed, whatever's in there. Making sure that they get to see the files as they're coming out. If everyone's happy on set, it makes my life easier. Yeah. Right? I can involve them into the process of our success in that photo shoot and better directing people yeah. when they can see that final image they can actually be happy at the end of it. And it saves me time. It goes back to being lazy. I found the way to be lazy. It was the easiest way that I can get to just being able to just do my job and I have to think about 50 other But it's also very inclusive. You are, again, getting the client engaged. Mm -hmm. They can see, they know what they're they know what they going to get and it gives yeah. them confidence. And then it's just a matter of kind of going through and picking out the best ones for expression yeah. versus worrying about is the color going to be right? Correct. Uh, clients can't see anything off the back of a camera. It's hard. It's so, so hard. What's your software of choice? What are you shooting to? <laughs> I like you putting me on the spot. Yeah. Um, you Our know, listeners want to know this I shit. like this. I like this. So lately I've been using Capture One, specifically because of the way that it eliminates tonal ranges in people's inconsistencies in tone. That's a huge leverage for me as a photographer. So shooting something like the face camera, I know that I don't have to sit there and retouch as much to get skin consistency because of the, pro the platform that it has built in within the program itself. That's actually what a lot of my clients like to see on set because that's what they're used to. Also, yep. having a DT on set on a commercial standpoint, most of them use that. If it's a private portrait session, I will use Lightroom, just depending on who the client is. Now, it just it goes back to the basic tools of what you want to use. I, I love the flexibility of what I have using with uh, everything with Capture One. 
I have had times that it went out on me and I've had to use Lightroom on set, but it depends on who my DT is or who my assistant yeah. is and, and what they feel comfortable with. I'd actually prefer that everyone uses Capture One now because it doesn't fail when I go tether. Yeah, when yeah. I go press that button, I don't have to think, is it is a cord working or is it Lightroom? Or if we've all had Lightroom issues, like yeah. there's no if, ands, or buts oh, about yeah. it, but you know, I feel like Capture One's more robust in that sense and yeah. safe. We just explored, um, we haven't even announced it yet, but we filmed an entire tutorial. We brought in people from Capture Integration, mm -hmm. um, flew people in from all over the place yeah. that were subject matter experts in one specific part of mm -hmm. tethering. And we did this whole tutorial, and we're actually going to give it away for free. That's awesome. Just because we, we felt like it was not something people should have to pay for because there's yeah. so many different variables that can go wrong. Yeah. And even though like the odds of like this cable failing are small, mm -hmm. when you have all of these variables mm -hmm. come together, the odds of something failing Correct. are quite high. It goes right up. Oh, so yeah. it's actually something that's been kind of a passion project of Rob and I's to, to awesome. get that out there and kind of become like the voice of, guys, you got to shoot tethered. Like your oh, yeah. workflow like, it's is... It's a foundation I now of photography. Yeah. It's, I, I always shoot tethered and it's just such a foundation of what we do. You of have course. to know it. It does make life easier. It so does. I guess, you know, maybe your lazy man's approach is kind of right, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. My That's God, not lazy. It, no, it's not. It's actually... You're um, calling yourself lazy. That's not lazy. It's, in, it's intensive to set up the right, pro, the right you know, working profile for, for being tethered. But once you're in, it's, yeah. you know, boy, it's good. Well, even, even with models, I mean, we, we, I did a shoot on Sunday or Monday. Monday. I did five models that I photographed in 10 hours here in Vegas in my hotel room. For them to see their images, they get to see it in a whole large screen. I put it on, I blew it up on the, the big screen that we had in the room. They got to see everything that was there. They were like, here's what I like about my expressions. Here's what I don't. So it's not even involving clients in the process. It's also involving my subject matter. Right. So everyone's involved. When everyone's looking at a screen, they can see it. Everyone's happy. It makes yeah. my life easier. That's it. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what's next. Where, what, where do you see yourself where coming up? Where does Jeff Rojas go now? Where, what are your goals for after 30? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, professionally, I love creative entrepreneurship. I'm always looking for other outlets for that, right? So I, I like, here's where I benefit right now. When my back's against the wall, I do my best. And I think a lot of people are like that. So I know that I need to put myself there again. I can't get comfortable. So I have to, consi I have to consistently do those things in order to, to grow as an artist. In five years from now, I want to create some sort of multi-million dollar business. That's my goal, right? Don't know what it is, have plans for what that is, but there's no there's no final, this is what it needs to be. It doesn't have, have to be a photographer. No, idiot. I'm totally open for it not to be. And the truth of the matter is, I think everything that we do can be like revive. Even, I mean, you guys do photography education, but doing education in general, think about everything that you guys just learned doing this for how many years you've been doing it. Yep and repurposing it for a business company now. You know, how much more could you make in a, in a larger mainstream audience? I mean, education in general. Um, oh, yeah. Like, if, for example, if you had to guess in three years how many creative contractors there will be in the United States, what would you throw out a number? What do you think there would be? I don't know creative contractors, but I know Just like, freelancers. Yeah, freelancers. 55% of the working industry is supposed to be a... Created, oh, sorry, a freelancer within the next three years. Right? Yeah, so sixty Huge. million. The, That's ridiculous. Yeah, right. A lot of Huge. people. And you know, when you look at where, like, the traditional university is going, way down. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, R Rob brings this up all the time because he has a, a daughter going into college. Yeah. And it's th those four years are important because that's oh, yeah. where you grow up. Yeah. That's where you become a, a good, you it's know, what, a better you learn human. how to be an adult and kind of be on your own and yeah. pay your own electric bill. It doesn't, kind of doesn't necessarily matter what you study. Right. No, so, it doesn't. So, you know, for us, online education, that's something we're really getting into and seeing, like, what else can we do? Like, what yeah. can we do better? Right. What what does the market really need right now? It's a really interesting. It's a, it's a conundrum for me because here I am about to send my daughter off to university and you know, Gary and I are, are building this kind of online educational mm -hmm. platform that competes with universities. Yeah. And I don't see the same value um, in it. it. You know, like a, a $60,000 education at a university per year. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, are you kidding me? No. But you have somebody vested into the process where you can see the yeah. fault of the system and then and build off of those things. While it's an, expe it's an expensive investment, you can learn from what she's doing and replicate that for yeah. your business model. So you have somebody that's on the inside per se. Right. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the creative markets like photography and um, even sound and other, you can learn a lot online. 
Absolutely. Because it's kind of accepted that you can, it doesn't matter where you get that knowledge. Mm -hmm. There's still so many places, so many businesses mm -hmm. where you need a college degree in order right. to, to enter the field, period, yeah. on any level. Um, so it hasn't completely flipped yet, but I think that, that the world is going more towards online education. And it's funny because I'm a college dropout twice. You know, that's that's kind of, <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but it's true. Twice? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I went to, while I was at, the last time I was on uh, Creative Live, I was also going to my last semester of, not my last one, a semester of college. So I was working with clients. I was going to Creative Live, planning for that whole class, doing everything. I got straight A's, got dean's list within that time. And I was teaching the professors how to run businesses, which is odd, and I couldn't do it. I was like, this is not okay. So even like one of my professors, I had asked her what business she had, uh, what she had on the side in order to make money, like thinking that this was something she was doing as a, as a side hustle, being a professor. And she goes, uh, I have a piece of land next to my house and I make about $6,000 a year from this business. And I looked at her and I didn't want to discredit her in yeah. any way, but I'm thinking you're happy and it gives you the right to go teach because you make six grand a year running a like a parking lot near your house charging people parking and i'm like okay let me teach you how to run businesses let's have a conversation <laughs> and i felt really guilty but like even things like going to going into those students and having to present i felt back to being an instructor and an educator because i was like this is where i lost money and this is how i turned that that yeah. lost opportunity into a profitable one right so if I created an app, how many thousands of dollars did you like lose building that app? Because at the end of the day, it's not a mainstream app. You did it for photographers. Well, if I sold that as a PDF and packaged it, and I can charge 10 times more than I did with the, the app itself, I made the money back that I lost in the first place. Like even knowing that, people are like, oh my God, it's okay to lose as long as you think about a creative outlet for that specific yeah. solution. Yeah. And I think people resonate well with that. But when you have professors that haven't gone through that, what are you what are you learning? You're just learning textbook information from tradition from 20, 30 years ago. So really, your your perspective is to look at a, any loss, no matter what it is, if it's a failure, if it's something that you've injected time into and it hasn't reaped the reward you want, you look at that loss as a potential asset somewhere else. Correct. How do I roll it into something else that Absolutely. is going to pay for it and more? Absolutely. Because he, I mean, Smart here's person. here's the thought process. Like, I wrote I wrote an ebook a long time ago on photographing men. No one cared. Right, I did styling guides. I did. I made money off of it, but it wasn't the money that I wanted to go make. I realized how to repurpose that in the right way, meaning creating the content that people wanted to see. I don't look at things as a loss. No, there's there's never a loss. It's just a bad idea, or a misfocused idea. I think you can take anything and make it successful with the right thought process. Going back to the drawing board to figure out where you went wrong and repurposing that, or just being open and honest. I don't. If you continue to fail at something, either you're looking at it completely the wrong way or you're not reaching the right group of people. And I always look at every business opportunity that way. You know, even people. Sometimes there's great people out there that are amazing at a specific thing in their life, but they're working for the wrong company that doesn't see that specific, uh, that trait of them or that special thing that they can do. Just go to the different company that'll, that'll appreciate those things and you'll continue growing. You know, no one, no one it doesn't matter how much you fail in life as long as you're willing to stand up and continue moving forward, right? I've lost, you know, when in the last couple of years, I mean, I had to split up with a business partner that I had to rebuild my whole business from the ground up. Like you literally have to go from nothing back to something. Getting back to the basics and learning how to hustle, you can do anything and succeed in life. Where I was, I should have failed. Where I am now, I'm like, I had to learn what I needed to do to make money and I had to stand up for myself and make stuff happen. There's no such thing as failing. It's about standing back up and getting it done. So what do you think is the best piece of advice you can share with people who are going to get into the market now who don't have a financial background like you did? Because your financial background has played a huge role in where you've gone. I think I'm going to take one from Gary Vaynerchuk and just say being very self-aware. Being very right. self-aware of yourself as a person realizing what you actually bring to the table. So here's an example. I know my personality. I know where I shine best. I know when I procrastinate and wait to the last minute, I do my best, right? And there's times that I've purposely put myself in that position to get the best out of myself, whether I want to say that just because I'm accepting my procrastination or not. The premise of that is everyone has something that they're awesome at. And go and all weak at, so you have to know both. Correct. Yeah. You know exactly what you're awesome at. You know what you're weak at. Outsource whatever you're weak at. If you suck at sales, fine. Find somebody who's awesome at sales that you can partner with. Or build off of your sales. Build something that you can do, sell something, work for someone else, learn how to sell, right? 
but you have to build off of those weaknesses to continue to strengthen and grow your business. I think that's important. If you're terrible at marketing, what could you create to potentially grow your business and your brand to go back to square one and think, okay, this is my weakness. I need to benefit here. Let me, how can I build off of that? It's just like any relationship. You don't want someone who's two people who are terrible at accounting because you're going to be poor. Like there's no ifs, ands, <laughs> no. or buts about that. Like you need somebody who's going to balance you and you have, it's all checks and balances. If you are an amazing creative and a terrible business person, find someone you can partner with to be an awesome business person while you can create and you guys can work together. That is advice. stellar advice. Jeff, I think so. you should just have a little app that I open up every day and it's advice from Jeff. Oh God. <laughs> that, I think that's your business. Oh, You're yeah. welcome. It's yeah. an app. <laughs> Jeff Rojas's daily inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. I like With, it. like actually read by you because your voice is very soothing. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, I would, yeah. I would pay for that. Yeah. I'll give you 99 cents for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know what? We, actually, it's a combined app with, with Pratique. Where, so in the morning, you start off with, yeah. with Jeff Rowe's inspiration. Yeah. And you end with, a, with Pratique's bedtime story. Pratique's puns. It. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> He's such a nice guy, man. I love, I love Pratique. Yeah, it's hard not to like him. He's you, can't, you can't not like him. No. He's fabulous. No, we, we had some fun nights. We were on tour last year, so he was super cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Like, awesome. This is this has been really good. I think that you've shared some some really insightful and wise uh, um, thought processes for our audience. So thank you very much for doing that. It was really nice having you here. Thank Where you. can we find all your work? Uh, because I'm annoying. Uh, it's my name backwards, which is <laughs> terrible, terrible marketing. Until the guy that owns Jeff Rojas dies, yeah, I'm never gonna have my URL. I've tried to buy him out more times than I can tell. Really? You. What does he what do? What does he do? Um, I don't know. He doesn't use his site for anything, which is uh, more annoying. Oh, that's oh. He won't give it to you, but he won't use it. He won't give it to me. He won't sell it to me, and he won't use it. It's it's kind of it's just like the John Malkovich Squarespace campaign going on right now. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> dude. I went through that whole website. You can actually buy clothes. That's actually John Malkovich's clothes. That's that website amazing. actually Seriously? works. That's awesome. Oh, that's brilliant. That's expensive. That's brilliant, though. But yeah, it's can you imagine brilliant. what they're paying him for that? Yeah. Oh yeah. A couple bucks. <laughs> just a couple. Yeah, a couple. Just a bucks. couple. So anything that you guys want to see on my site, it's my name backwards, S-A-J-O-R-F-F-E-J.com, or that's the alias. It's actually just JeffRojasPhotography.com. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I don't tell anybody that. That's the first time I've ever said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's a first right here, an exclusive RGG. Oh, we got the exclusive. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know that are listening, uh, either on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud, you can actually go to RGGEDUPodcast.com and download the entire season, the entire series for free. Bam. So oh. look at that. Look at us. Halfway through WPPI. We'll make this stuff happen, man. Boom. Boom. I like it. Blow it up. Awesome. Thanks for coming by, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Man. Take care. Cheers. Take care. This podcast has been brought to you by Capture One Pro. With the most reliable tether workflow, combined with the most robust image processing, Capture One Pro 10 is the choice of working professionals. Well, that's a little screw for this one. Thanks for listening. I get out of here and start shooting. This podcast is officially over. Over and out. Catch you next time, dude. R-G-G-E-D-U. Photography tutorials from the best in the business.